some warm weather, uh, made some great memories, and drank more sweet tea than I think I in two weeks than I think I've drank in the past year. Um, I gave myself free reign. I didn't care. Um, now I love to travel, but there is definitely something to be said about coming home, getting back into your routine, raiding your own refrigerator. Uh, sleeping in your own bed. Uh, but this trip was good. And, and, and this trip, I think, was especially interesting for me because um, we were visiting places which, for me, have been home in the past. So we spent time with both sets of my, uh, my grandparents. We saw most of my cousins, uncles, and aunts. We stayed with some old college friends and had dinner with some dear friends from our old church uh, as we were coming and going. And, and the funny thing was, you know, we've been here for two and a half years, but stepping back into law, it, it all felt so normal. Uh, it was like stepping back into a memory, as if almost as if we were just picking up where we left off. Uh, some things were very different, but many things were the same, and that familiarity had an impact on me. I, I think this trip uh, especially made me a little bit more introspective than I thought it would, because it triggered so many memories, and because all those places have now taken on more significance because we've created new memories there as our as a family. So um, it, it kind of has me thinking about uh, Thanksgiving and homecoming, and we kind of already did that, but everyone's getting ready to do that this week. So with this being the weekend before Thanksgiving, some of you might be getting ready for your own trip, or maybe you're getting ready to host uh, your family as they're coming together. Uh, so this can be a really busy time, and I, I want to recognize that um, it's busy enough that many times I think we forget what this holiday is all about. It's about giving thanks. Uh, so before the busyness of the holidays take over, before the turkey is put in the oven or the smoker, or if you're in the south, in the fryer, uh, before potatoes are peeled or the pie crust is rolled out, I think we need to start there by thinking about what it means to live a life of thankfulness to God in light of, the, of all the ways he has kept all of his very good promises, which brings us back this morning to the book of Joshua. Now this morning, we are really in the home stretch of this book, the final section of the book of Joshua. We are finished with the boundaries of the land, which I'm sure comes as a real relief to many of you, if not all of you. Um, but we're seeing once again what we have seen from the beginning of this series, how the book of Joshua focuses in on God's faithfulness to keep all of his promises, that there are no falling words with God. And when we left off uh, last time in Joshua chapter 21, we left off with the conclusion of the accounts of all the lands with all their boundaries which were given to the people. And we came away with the assessment that God had done everything that he had said he would do. We uh, finished up with this, this statement that not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Now in this final section of Joshua, the focus of our author is remaining there on the faithfulness of God. But it's shifting a little bit to focus uh, specifically on the response of the people of Israel to that faithfulness. 
So God had done everything he said he would do. Now the question of the book is whether or not Israel was going to keep faith with God and so retain the inheritance that had been given to them. So besides informing us of the first steps that Israel took as a nation after they had received the land from God, these final chapters actually prove, I think, immensely instructive for us, especially for us as a church, since they teach us Uh, how we ourselves are called to live in response to God's faithfulness to his people. And it just so happens that we are beginning this section with a thankful homecoming, which is perfect for us uh, going in to celebrate Thanksgiving later this week. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word as I read from Joshua chapter 22, verses 1 through 9. This is the word of the Lord. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that that Moses, the the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been very careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and to cling to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, Go back to your tents with much wealth and very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land, of which they had possessed themselves by the command of the Lord through Moses. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, Ellie and I have been working very hard uh, with Titus, specifically on his manners. Um, While it seems like we are regularly having to remind him to say please, he does do very well with thank you. And we saw a lot of family on our trip. Titus got a lot of cool presents from them, so we had a lot of practice over the past few weeks. Uh, And the reason we're putting so much effort into teaching him those disciplines is not because we want to hear him just say a bunch of words when he gets something, but because we want want, uh, him to acknowledge the generosity of others and because we want to instill in him a heart of gratitude and thankfulness for the blessings that he receives. We, we, want to, we want to chase out sinful notions of entitlement with a godly sense of gratitude. And thankfulness, we see, is the right response of a heart that has received grace and mercy, which is why we're instructed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, Rejoice always. 
pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's a lesson we want Titus and Rebecca to, to, to receive and to instill in their own lives. But we see that this is a, a lesson that we're all called uh, to learn as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, if we're to read Joshua chapter 22 and the following chapters that we have remaining for us in this book as Israel's response to God's faithfulness to keep all of his very good promises, then, which is, I think, the way we're intended to read it, then we should expect, I think, to find thankfulness at the core of this instruction. And indeed, as we read this, we find that it is. What we have laid before us here in these opening verses of Joshua 22 is some key instruction for how we ought to respond to God in his generous work of grace. So the purpose of this passage and what what it leads us to conclude is that thankfulness is the right response to God's faithfulness. And it instructs us in the particulars of what that actually looks like. So that's going to be the focus of our time this morning in this passage, which then leads us to consider our main idea uh, for today, which is this. We live a life of thankfulness to God as he has saved us and as he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, including eternal life, by living a life of obedience to Jesus our King. Or to say that more succinctly, a thankful life is an obedient life. A thankful life is an obedient life. Now, besides helping you to see the vital connection between a thankful life and an obedient life from this passage, I want to give you three takeaways from uh, Joshua chapter 22, verses 1 through 9, on how a thankful heart seeks to obey God. So, first we're going to see that a thankful heart seeks to obey God by living according to his word. Thankful heart seeks to obey God by living according to his word. Secondly, we see that a thankful heart seeks to obey God by loving him supremely. A thankful heart will love God supremely. And then thirdly, we see that a thankful heart seeks to obey God by living generously in the blessings that he gives. A thankful heart seeks to obey God by living generously in the blessings that he gives. So first, we want to look at the relationship that thankfulness has to obedience. And what I want to show you this morning from Joshua chapter 22 is that thankfulness produces obedience. Thankfulness produces obedience. So before we jump into the hows of thankful obedience, let's just take a moment to appreciate the connection between these two principles of obedience and thankfulness, an obedient heart and a thankful heart. There's a lot in this passage that deals explicitly and deals uh, directly with what it means to obey God. But these instructions that Joshua gives to the eastern tribes were never intended to merely create rule followers. That's because God's rule and God's rules and God's commands involve our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, and the very affections of our heart. One cannot claim obedience to God simply by keeping the letter of the law. We must be committed to the heart of his commands as well, which becomes very clear from the way that Joshua instructs the people of Reuben, Gad, and of East Manasseh. 
In these opening verses, Joshua charges these two and a half tribes uh, to reflect God's faithfulness in keeping, uh, in keeping uh, faith with him themselves, which is to say that he charges them to live in careful obedience to God as they go back to their homes. Now, as we look specifically at this charge, you can clearly see that obedience, such as Joshua has in mind, must be heartfelt. This sort of obedience is the kind that comes from the heart, a heart that has been affected by God, a heart that loves God, a heart that is driven to Him by gratitude for everything that He has done. You cannot obey the way that Joshua charges the people to obey in accordance with the commands of the law unless you do so with a heart of thankfulness. A thankful heart is the product of God's grace. And only a thankful heart can produce the sort of willful, loving obedience that God desires and which God deserves from us. Thankfulness to God binds love to action in a way that pleases Him. So while Joshua may not explicitly command these tribes to be thankful, it's clear as we read these verses that thankfulness is implicitly woven into every exhortation that Joshua gave to these tribes as he sent them to their homes on the other side of the river. Now it's important for us to see this connection because it stands that our obedience to God was never intended to be cold and calculated. It was never intended to be legalistic. Obedience like that is distasteful in God's sight. No, our obedience is meant to be vibrant and alive, flowing from a heart of gratitude and love towards God, responding rightly to His beauty and the righteousness of His glory. If our hearts have truly been changed by the grace of Christ, if we have truly been united to Him and the Spirit of God is living in us, then we see that it will naturally produce a heart that is eager to please God because it desires Him and desires to make much of Him. If we only, bega- if we only obey God because we must, then we are behaving like ungrateful servants rather than the adopted sons and daughters who we are in Christ, which is what the Gospel tells us. So it's important that we see that there's a natural connection between thankfulness to God, love for God, and obedience to God. Because those are the components which define and give vibrancy to the life that is in Christ. Gratitude, love, and obedience are the vital fruit that always appears on the branch that has been grafted into Christ by God's saving grace. As we dive actually into the details of this passage, we see that with the conclusion of the giving of the land and the fulfillment of God's promises, Joshua has summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and you have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been very careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the, of the Jordan. As we read this, you just need you got to get your camera ready, right? Because this is a rare moment which is worth remembering. This like There's going to be many struggles for the nation of Israel, but today, life is good. 
it's worth celebrating. All too often, if you've ever read through the Old Testament, you'll know that uh, it, it especially seems uh, like whenever we're reading about Israel, we're reading about how people failed to keep faith with God. But here we have, in the opening verses of Joshua chapter 22, Joshua celebrating the faithfulness of these people to keep the command of the Lord. These tribes kept the faith. They ran the race. They finished their task. And now Joshua is standing before them, commending them, blessing them for not abandoning their brothers. And there are two lessons I think that we should take from this, from verses 1 through 5, which have to do with living in thankful obedience to God. First, we see that Joshua teaches us a helpful method for encouraging each other to continue going on and walking in obedience to God. Joshua, we see he has, when he assembled these tribes and sent them home, had some important words for them to take with them as they went. But before he began instructing them about how they should go, we say that he began by commending them for the way that they had kept the charge that God had given them to go and to fight beside their brothers until he had given them rest in the land as he had promised. We've seen Joshua's wisdom as a leader many times throughout this book, and we see it here again. As he sends these tribes home to their families, his message to them is to live there as they are living now, as examples of obedience. Uh, the, the pastor and theologian Matthew Henry points out that God must always get the glory and the praise, but that the instruments that he uses to accomplish his work should not be altogether overlooked. What we should learn from Joshua's example here is that we should never underestimate the power of encouraging words. And don't miss out on opportunities for celebrating the grace which God has poured out on you through the ministry of other believers. Now obviously we should be careful not to puff each other up in pride. But we see value here for encouraging one another. Encouraging words like what we see with Joshua as he speaks to these people have the power to boost obedience to God in a way that constantly barraging each other with commands just fails to do. I, I worked for a boss once who told me that basically if, if he said anything to you, it was a bad thing. And then if he didn't say anything to you, you should just be happy with that because that meant you were doing your job. And I can tell you that my work ethic and my desire to want to be at work suffered because I knew that if I saw my boss coming, I was in trouble. If that's all how we treat each other, we're not going to thrive in Christ. We're called to keep each other accountable, yes, but we're also called to encourage one another. Joshua shows us the power of encouraging words and how it is a good thing for us to recognize the work of grace that is going on in someone else's life and to encourage them with it, and to bless them with it, to, to cause them, in, in an effort to cause them to continue walking in that way. Now the second lesson we may take from these verses comes from the fighting men of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh themselves. As Joshua commends them for their obedience, he's also commending them to us as an example of how to live in response to God and the gospel of grace. When the people of Israel crossed over the Jordan River into Canaan for the first times, these tribes had already received their inheritance. But we see that uh, based on the charge that the Lord gave them, they had to live and they had to wait until their task was actually completed, until the land had rest. 
much like uh, we as disciples of Christ have received him and live in him now, we too are waiting for the final and full fulfillment of those salvation promises when we will be gathered to our home in the presence of our great King Jesus. We may not know the day, we may not know the hour, but we do know that a time is coming when the world will see Christ for who he truly is in the regalia of his splendor. We know that there is a day coming when he will judge the world and set all things straight. On that day, Jesus says that he will gather the nations before his glorious throne, that he will judge them, that he will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He says, then the king, referring to himself, will say to his people whom he has redeemed, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That is going to be a glorious day. And it's a day we wait for as a people of the king. These fighting men of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh stood out for their faithful obedience to God's commands. And they were commended for it. So it stands for, for those of us who have received Christ as our Savior and Lord, who have trusted in Him for our salvation, that we ought to follow their example of obedience as we await the day of our commendation before His throne. Now Joshua did not assemble the people at Shiloh just to commend them. He also called them together to instruct them in the way of thankful obedience, which is what we find starting here in the second part of verse 4. He says that now that God had given rest to their brothers and the enemy nations in Canaan, it was time for them to go home. Turn, go back to your tents in the land where your possession lies, Joshua tells them. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. And so Joshua blessed them and he sent them away to their tents. As commendable as the faithfulness of these tribes was to keep their charge, we see that their responsibility towards God had not ended there. Their task and their responsibility to help their brothers take the land that God was giving to them may have been at an end, but their responsibility to keep God's commands was only beginning. Their relationship with God was not some sort of contract you might find between a plumber and a homeowner where a job is done and both go to their respective places and may never speak to each other again. No, this is an ongoing covenant relationship like what we find between a husband and a wife. So we find that the emphasis of Joshua's message here after he has commended these tribes is to urge them on in thankful obedience to God. Yes, God has given, had given these people an amazing inheritance. He had given them peace. He had given them land. He had given them security, food, houses, riches, and on and on. But more than that, God had given the people himself. That's what made this land so special. It's that this was the land that God had chosen in which the midst of he was going to dwell with his people. This is where God's people were called to continue living in relationship with him. And if they were going to continue living in the blessings that God had given them, 
God had made it very clear they had to follow his command. They had to be holy as he himself is holy. Getting into the land was really the only the beginning of the journey. Now, from here on out, it's about living in the land with God as his people in relationship with him. So as Joshua sends these people out, we see that that is why he is so careful, why he exhorts them so strongly to live, being very careful to obey God's commands. Joshua knew the words of Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20, where Moses had warned the people, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, Moses says, I declare to you this day that you shall surely perish. Notice the connection there between what he's saying and what God had told Adam and Eve. In the day that you eat of that forbidden fruit, you will die. So Moses says, if you abandon God, you will die. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. A thankful heart, a heart that loves God, is driven to obey that is driven to obey. God's commands are not burdensome. They are life and they are breath to us. And so Joshua's exhortation to these tribes to obey the Lord was, driv- was, was, was from a purpose of love because he wanted to see them thrive in the land of God's presence as his people, as a light to the nations so that the world would see the glory of God with his people. In doing so, I think that Joshua has provided with us instruction on three ways that a thankful heart is to obey God. And that's what I want to look at with you in the rest of our time this morning. So first we see that a thankful heart obeys God by living according to his word. Joshua's exhortation here in verse 5 is almost word for word what Moses said to the people in Deuteronomy chapter 30. So it's not as if Joshua is speaking to these two and a half tribes, singling them out from the rest of their brothers. This is the expectation that God had of all of his people. We are called to obey and to live by his word. God's word is a lamp to our feet. It is a light unto our path. It is like bread that nourishes our hearts. It is like water that soothes our, ser- our thirsty souls. God's word has this effect because in it, God has revealed himself. Holy scripture is self-described as the means of grace that the spirit applies to us, convicting us of sin, driving us to Christ, assuring us of salvation. God uses his word and the lives of his people to shape us and to hone us in the likeness of Christ. It is intended to be for us uh, the rule and the authority of our lives. As Joshua sends the people of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh to their homes, he tells them to take God's word with them. Without that, he knew that they would never be able to remain in the land because they would surely fall into error and sin and judgment. So in verse 5, Joshua tells them to be very careful, not only to know God's word, but to obey it. Observe the commandment of the law, he tells them. 
And then he tells them to apply the lesson of, their law, of the law to their lives by loving God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments, clinging to him, and serving him with their whole heart and their whole soul. Now it is all too common in our world to find people say that they love God who are also really very ready and eager to say that God loves them. But then when you press them a little further, you find that their idea of who God is doesn't necessarily match who God has revealed himself to be in his word. Meaning that when they say they love God, they do not actually love God or know the God who has poured out his love on the world, but that they love a God of their own making who is fashioned after their own image. We need God's word because without it, we're like blind men feeling around in the dark for what might be there. I understand the plight of those who say they are agnostic towards God, that they don't know if there's a God or not, since mankind on his own cannot aspire to comprehend the infinite God who made them. If God had not revealed himself in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ who is called the word of God in John chapter 1, then I might say that they have a case for what they believe. But scripture is here as a testimony and as a witness. Our God is not silent. He has not remained in the darkness. He has broken in and he has shown the light of his glory in the world. God in his mercy has not left us to grasp about in the darkness of doubt. And therefore, there is no longer any excuse for any person to not know him. As ambassadors of Christ, Christians have been called to know God and to make him known by preaching the gospel of good news. We can do that with certainty because God has revealed himself in his word, and because he works through that word by the power of his Holy Spirit to open the eyes of the blind and to raise dead hearts and to make us new. As we come to know this great God through his self-revelation, we see that he is truly worthy of our worship, our praise, and our focus of today, our obedience. His word is life and it is light, and when it takes hold of us, it will lead us in rightful obedience to him. The reason that Joshua emphasized God's word to these tribes as they went back to their homes to make a life in the land that God had given them and blessed them with is because he knew that without that, without God's word, they could neither obey God nor could they hope to live in the inheritance that he was giving them for very long. And so it stands that we, too, must hold to the word of God for our own lives, the way a train holds onto the tracks as it goes forward. Now, secondly, we learn from these verses that to obey God, we must love God. A thankful heart seeks to love God. When Joshua releases these tribes and sends them home, he commends them for their faithfulness. But that did not mean that they could just go home and behave like the nations that they had just destroyed or like the peoples who were still surrounding them. Like I said, God had made a covenant with them, not a contract. He had called them out of darkness, rescued them from slavery, and blessed them with every good thing in this land which he had chosen to make them a people for his own possession. Above all, the thing which was supposed to characterize them as a people in this place was their love for the Lord who had so loved them. 
You can see that in the way that Joshua charges these people. He says, love the Lord your God. Cling to him. Serve him with your whole heart and with all your soul. Now as you read that, that should feel really, really familiar. Because that is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, which is the the very command that Jesus calls the great command in Matthew 22. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul indicates that it is impossible, it is impossible to obey God or to please God with acts of obedience apart from love. To love God is to treasure Him as our greatest joy and pleasure. Loving God means relishing His beauty and the glory of His holiness. It means loving God not just because He gives us good things. It means loving God because He is God. It means loving God for His Godness. It means treasuring Him above all other things. And it means detesting every attitude, every desire, everything that is opposed to Him. It means that the affection of our heart is set on Him supremely. That that drives us. If our lives were a coloring book, with obedience to God being the black lines that make up the picture, love, joy, and thankfulness to God would be the colors that bring that image to life. A coloring page is not complete until it is colored. And obedience to God is not complete until it is colored with love and thankfulness to Him. Just as you cannot obey God without His Word, so also you cannot obey God without loving Him Since Jesus says that this, along with loving one's neighbor as oneself, is the fulfillment of the whole law and all the prophets. As Joshua sends these tribes home, he wants to make sure that they go on living in obedience to God the way they have been, living in thankfulness to God, in a right relationship with Him. And so as he sends them, he doesn't just send them with a list of rules. He reminds them of the heart of the law to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with everything that they are. Love is the engine which drives God's people to do his commands. Jesus actually explains in John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That means that loving Jesus has an impact on us. It gives us purpose and definition. It propels us forward into obedience to Him. Not because, by, as if somehow by doing those things, we somehow earn His favor. But we do it because He has already poured out His favor on us by redeeming us and by making us sons and daughters with Him through faith. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 explains to us that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, and whoever has been born of Him, it has been born of Him. He says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Now the tricky thing about love is that while we are commanded to love God with our whole heart, with our soul, with our mind, with our strength, such love is not something we can just conjure up. Joshua, as he tells these people of these tribes to love God, he has no power to make them do that any more than I can make you love God and to love each other. 
naturally, because we are all born into sin and are characterized by the flesh, this love for God simply isn't something that we can do because we love ourselves. God has to actually do something in us and for us first. He has to give us a new heart with, a, with new priorities and new affections. We have to, as Jesus describes in John 3, we have to be born again. And this is what the gospel of grace is all about. We shouldn't see this command to love the Lord your God as something that we can somehow pull ourselves up by the bootstraps to do. We have to see it through the lens of faith in the work of Christ. The gospel is the story of God's work of redemption. God created us for his glory, in his image, but we have all sinned and we all fall short of that. But God loved us in spite of our sin and sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for us with the promise that all who believe in him will not perish, but will have eternal life with him. We receive that life through faith in response to the work that God has done and is doing through his spirit. So, friend, maybe your struggle with thankfulness and your struggle with obedience to God is because when you look at him, all you see is a cruel taskmaster whose commands are precept upon precept and rule upon rule. And if that's you, perhaps that's because you've never really come to grips with the gospel and how God works to set sinners free from enslavement to sin and how he adopts them in to be his sons and daughters. Children don't obey because they have to earn their father's love. They obey because they are loved and because they love their father. And that is the way that true obedience, obedience that God commands and delights in, works. So Joshua chapter 22 teaches us that to obey, we must love. Thirdly and finally, we see that thankful hearts live generously in the blessings that he gives according to the grace that he gives us in Christ. Now, at first glance, as we look at verses 7 through 9, they seem to be a repetition of everything that's already been said. Something that you can just pass through, skip over, move on to the action of what's coming in the rest of this chapter. And we'll get there. But there's actually more to this. We see that as Joshua blessed the people and sent them back to their homes across the river, verse 8 adds some new information to Joshua's instruction. We see that Joshua said to them, Go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, iron, and with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. And we see in verse 9 that the tribes did just that. They left the assembly of the people that was at Shiloh and went to their land in Gilead, their land uh, which they had already themselves possessed by the command of the Lord through Moses. And they took with them the spoils of war. When Israel took over Canaan, they inherited lands, they inherited homes, they inherited fields, natural resources, and abundant wealth. As Joshua sends these two and a half tribes back to their homes, he doesn't send them back empty-handed. He rewards them. He makes sure that they get to share in the plunder and the riches of their brothers. They went home to their tents laden with the riches that they had received. Livestock, precious metals, and very fine clothing. Everything that they needed to thrive in the land that God had given them. Now the reason this is important, that these tribes got to share in the spoils of war along with the other tribes who specifically lived in Canaan, is that it sort of seals the unity between these tribes together. 
Reuben, Gad, and East Manasseh weren't mercenaries who had to serve at the whim and at, uh, of the other tribes. No, they were brothers. And the fact that they too received the spoils of Canaan along with their brothers shows that they had just as much of a share in the inheritance of the land that the other tribes did. So Joshua's command to take their share of the spoils actually was intended, we see, to ensure that the riches of God's victory were spread throughout the nation. There was no one who was lacking. As we press into the rest of this chapter uh, next week, we'll see why, specifically, why that little detail is given. Uh, the tribes on the east side of the Jordan River, we find, were really afraid that somehow, one day, their children might be excluded from their inheritance in the fellowship of the Lord. So I think that this detail is actually given here to guard against that. For now, and we'll, we'll deal with that a little bit next week. For now, though, I just want to make a point here from Joshua's command about how God calls us to actually enjoy the good gifts that he has given us for his glory. God commands us to use his good gifts and to enjoy them in such a way that redounds to his praise. There is a false idea that has crept into the church today that God is a joy killer. There are, there are people who see God as a joy killer. This idea ignores the fact that we are actually commanded in Scripture to rejoice in God. Joel 2, verse 23 says, Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for, your, uh, for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain as before. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Habakkuk chapter 3.18 announces, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Zephaniah 3 verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again Again, fear evil. And then I could go on, but I'll finish with Jude chapter uh, Jude verses 24 and 25, which you should all be very familiar with because I read it almost every week. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before the presence of his glory with great joy. Joy is a command. God means for you to be glad. God is not the enemy of joy. He is the great giver of joy and he gives a greater joy than this world can give us those who delight in God will find that their joy is made full Joshua's blessing and instruction to these tribes to take their share of the spoils of war is helpful for us because it helps us to see that God is the giver of every blessing and that he gives those blessings and calls us to live generously in the grace which we have received you know, Black Friday shopping is the stuff of legend. We've all heard, maybe we've been part of, people camping out in front of stores, fist fights breaking out. I hope no one's gotten a fist fight over TV. Uh, I've seen videos, and I haven't have seen any of you, but I hope never to. Uh, we, we've heard about the madness of what happens when a crowd's trying to get into Walmart, people being trampled just to get a good deal. And I find that there's nothing that puts human depravity on display quite like half-price computers and $5 DVDs, which no one wants anymore. It seems like, unfortunately, in many ways, Black Friday is a bigger deal than Thanksgiving. 
We don't see Black Friday frantic grabbing for limited stuff here in Joshua 22, do we? No. We see only the surplus of, of God's generosity to the people of Israel, not only giving them the land he had promised, but adding to them the riches and the blessings that, uh, of this land to them in abundance. Joshua says, take it with you. Fill your tents with these riches. Go and live in obedience to God. Share it throughout the land. Take this home to your families. Give, the, give, give, your, give your wife some jewelry. She's been dealing with the, with the kids while you've been fighting war for two years, two and a half years. Uh, go live. Go enjoy the abundance of the blessings of God. Now, it can be a real struggle to live in this world and not to be taken with stuff not to fall into desiring idols and riches. We are given to idolatry. We're attracted to it like a magnet. As, as John Calvin has famously said, the human heart is an idol factory. But Joshua 22 reminds us that this is God's world and everything in it is his. Whatever he has given to us, he has given to us according to his good pleasure. And it's good for us to partake of those good things as long as we do so in a way that exalts him. Now, what does that look like? What does that, I mean, that can be hard, right? We don't know. We don't recognize the riches we truly do have living here in America. We begin to take them as, we assume that we ought to have them. We should see them as the blessings that they are and we should resolve to use them appropriately. So how do we do that? Well, it means living like this. It means using your gifts, your time, your talents, your abilities, your hobbies, your health, your food, your retirement, your school, your family, your house, and every other blessing that is in your life in such a way to show that those things are not your treasure. Because King Jesus is. It means not living for those things, trying to accumulate for yourselves riches that are on earth, not living for those things as your greatest goal or as the end of your life, but using them as the tools they are, as something which is intended to, uh, to point to something greater, which is the glory of God. It means living with a priority that seeks after one thing, the priorities of your master, King Jesus. It means living with the sort of generosity of Christ, who we find for the joy that was set before him endured the cross on our behalf. We have been given so much more in Christ than all the riches of Canaan that Israel received, more than all the riches that are in this world. And that should drive us to live with generous thankfulness in the grace that we ourselves have received. So if I may be so bold, I think that Joshua chapter 22 verses 1 through 9, would have us celebrate this Thanksgiving with a bold joy to eat your turkey or your ham or, or your green bean casserole with thankfulness to God. We may look at everything that has happened in the past few years. We may not look at all those things as a blessing. There's been a lot of pain in the past two years. We may not look, now everything has turned out the way that we wish that it had. But through the lens of the gospel, we see that God truly has given us victory in every circumstance. And he has given us a reason to rejoice no matter what. If anyone has a reason to celebrate this Thursday, it's us. And when that thankfulness gets a hold of our hearts, it draws people's attention to Christ because you just can't manufacture this kind of joy. 
So I want to challenge you this morning to live by the grace that God gives you to shift your priorities and to ask of everything and anything that you have, how can I honor Christ with this? That will go a long way to fuel right obedience, to fill your heart with joy, and to make Christ look beautiful to a world that is consumed with temporary treasures with our passing away. So this morning, we've seen a lot. We've seen that thankfulness is the right response to the faithfulness of God. We've seen that a thankful heart is an obedient heart. And then we've considered three ways we're called to obey by living according to God's word, by loving him, and by leveraging every one of his good gifts to the glory of his name. Let us resolve, based on what we've seen in this text this morning, to be a truly thankful people as we bask in the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning as a thankful people. At least I hope we're thankful after we've considered the riches of what you've poured out on us through the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, there are many things in this world that are not right. Things that we are tempted to to allow to consume our time and our attention. Father, there are many reasons in this world to be pessimistic. To wonder even if, if the kingdom of God really is coming. But you have assured us in your word that, you, that it is coming, that Christ really is making all things new. And you have sealed that with the blood of Jesus Christ. Because he has risen from the dead, we can stand with confidence that these things are true. And so, Father, my prayer is that your spirit would take these truths and that you would bind them to our hearts and to our minds. And that as you do so, that like a seed that is planted in the soil, it would grow and bear forth the fruit of thankfulness. And that thankfulness in turn would bear forth uh, loving obedience to you. And that as it does so, that the world would see the beauty of Christ and the gospel. And that your glory would be put on display in vivid, living color in the lives of your people. We pray, Father, that you would give us patience. We pray that you would give us endurance. And we pray most of all that you would exalt King Jesus as you establish your kingdom forever. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.